from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just arrived to the newest episode of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser. This is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. As always, this episode is brought to you by our amazing sponsor, an SAP Global Platinum Partner, one of only nine in the whole world. Seidor, that's S-E-I-D-O-R. If your business is ready to move off of QuickBooks, Please give us a ring to help us automate your business processes and make your accounting and inventory management easier. Now let's get back to today's episode. We're going to chat about putting your ego aside and letting somebody else help you. Yeah, help you break through to the next level of success. So who do we have today? None other than Mr. Brad Sugars. Internationally known as one of the most influential entrepreneurs, Brad Sugars is a best-selling author, keynote speaker, and the number one business coach in the world. Over the course of his 30-year career as an entrepreneur, Brad has become the CEO of nine-plus companies and is the owner of the multi-million dollar franchise, Action Coach. As a husband and father of five, huge family, gotta love that, Brad is equally as passionate about his family as he is his business. That's why Brad is a strong advocate for building a business that works without you so you can spend more time doing what really matters to you. Over the years of starting, scaling, and selling many businesses, Brad has earned his fair share of scars, as we all, if you're listening to this show. So, hey, without further delay, let's bring Brad right on in here. Business Strategy. Brad, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. <laughs> Thank you, David. Uh, I've been Shark Bait before, but that might be because I grew up in Australia and I was on the Great Barrier Reef. So it's where my home in Australia still is. So there you go. You know, that's funny. Every time I say that to uh, someone down there, we get a lot of Australian guests, believe it or not. You're probably um, third or fourth one, even just this season from Australia. I'm upset now that I wasn't the first Australian on this. We got traction down there in Australia, but every time I say it, it's always talking about sharks because of, uh, you know, the reefs down there or kangaroos. They always seem to come up. So uh, it is what it is. You know, those Australian stereotypes, I guess. But anyways, we got a tradition on the show. We always kick off the show. Same question for everybody. What's your background? What's your experience? What do you do for a living? Basically, in a nutshell, tell us what makes Brad Brad. You know, I love to answer that last part of that question of uh, what do I do for a living? Nothing. I don't do anything for a living. I do a lot of things to create wealth, though. And uh, I do a lot of things to have a lot of fun. Um, I started out as an accountant as a young man, but actually I started out in business uh, very early. I was always wanting to be entrepreneurial. Uh, went to college to become an accountant because that's what my dad did. And I didn't get the grades to become a lawyer. So uh, therefore, I, you know, and I never really wanted to be an accountant, but I wanted to understand business. And so uh, I've been in business myself pretty much ever since. I uh, worked a couple of jobs early, but uh, wasn't very good at working for other people. 
and um, I'm most known for Action Coach, which Action Coach is now about 1,100 offices in 83 countries, if I remember correctly. I know we just opened in Ethiopia, so I think that was country number 83. Um, the books was 17, no, number 18, actually, just published number 18 in the UK. It'll publish here in the States early next year uh, called Raise Your Hand Marketing. And um, owned and operated or bought and sold about 60 companies. I just bought another, a majority share of another one the other day. Uh, I was just negotiating a share of one this morning. But basically, I'm an entrepreneur who buys and sells uh, companies. I started out buying and selling broken companies. So I'd find something that wasn't working. I could get in there and fix it. And these days, what I mostly do is I... Uh, if you think of it as maybe Ray Crocking a business, I find a good business that's in one location and then I globalize it. So that's really what I try and do more of today is what's a good business or a great business, but it's only in one city, one town, one country and take it and put it around the rest of the world. So that's more the fun stuff I get to do today. So in other words, you're a pretty busy individual, it sounds like. Well, let me put it a different way. The people who work for me are very busy. Right. There you go. There you go. I can imagine. I mean, you definitely have a lot going on there. And, uh, you know, we were talking pre-show. One of the things that we also have in common, uh, we're both part of the Forbes Executive Council. I'm on the Forbes Biz Dev Council, and you are on the Forbes Coaches Council, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, creating content and helping Forbes educate people out there is, is a big thing. I've been an educator now for 30 odd years. Uh, I love the teaching and the writing and doing all that stuff. It's uh, and, and it also gives me a really good way to format in my brain. Like when you write a book, you actually have to think through how do I do that? And um, you actually have to construct a methodology. And that's where creating, you know, training programs and writing articles and doing all those sorts of things makes me do that. And that's a lot of what's made Action Coach successful is simplifying things down to very simplistic models that anyone can understand and use or use and teach. Okay. So you brought up action coach a couple of times right now, uh, especially the, the, I, I guess you could say almost global presence in 83 countries now, including Ethiopia. Uh, explain to everybody, what is action coach? Like, what are you actually doing? Yeah, we're, we're a membership-based business coaching company. So we help business owners, executives, CEOs uh, create better results in their business or in their corporation. Uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges of owning your own business is it's possibly one of the loneliest jobs in the world. You know, you can't, you, you, there's not many people you can go to and talk to about your challenges, your problems. You don't want to talk to your people, your staff about it. You don't want to talk to your banker about it. Uh, in fact, you want to hide most of the stuff from your banker. You're right, exactly. Or no more loads, right? <laughs> you're not going, you're not going home to your spouse and telling them all the problems in your day because you don't want to, you know, alarm them sort of thing. So what, what we do is we bring business owners together. We create a large community. We give them the education and the knowledge and the coaching and the accountability to get results in their business and grow their business. We've been doing that for, it'll be 30 years next August. And, um, you know, we have hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of members around the world who learn and grow with us and therefore help others learn and grow. That, that is amazing because as we were just again talking about, 
uh, in the uh, pre-show warm-up there, you know, the show, it's all about the three Gs, personal growth, professional growth, business growth. And that's exactly where you fold into. One thing I have to ask, okay, you've been around for 30 years with Action Coach, okay? But one of your sticks that you have is 30 times life, 30 times business, and also 30 times wealth. Do you just add like add one for each year that you've been in business? Will it be 31 next year or what? You know, we named it 30X because it was 30 minutes a day for 30 days to get my 30 years experience. So I guess I'll have to film another video every year and call it 31, 32. No, no. Um, I did it when I turned 50, David, because when I turned 50, I was like, you know what? I, I need to get this done. You don't look a day over 49, Brad. Yeah, these greys. And, uh, you know, it's the that's the problem with five kids. And four of them are daughters. So, you know, four daughters definitely got me the grey hairs. But um, when, when COVID was hitting and everything, I thought, you know, what am I going to do? So I built a TV studio and I basically recorded what I knew about business for 30 days. Well, it actually took longer than 30 days because to write the program took quite a while. But, and then once I'd done business, I thought, might as well just do everything about the success principles. And then once I'd done that, I thought, might as well teach wealth as well. So I just wanted to get down on, on, on recording the things that had taken me a long time to learn and master because, you know, when you're a young person starting out, it's tough. Where do you go and get this knowledge? If your parents weren't rich, how do you learn how to manage money? If you, if your mom or dad didn't own their own business. Not if they just weren't rich, but what you were saying right there about them owning their own business, because there's plenty of people out there to where they're 10 times more successful than their parents. But their parents weren't rich, but their parents did own businesses and therefore they were brought up with the entrepreneurial experience, which then they, uh, I guess I don't want to rip off Tony Robbins or Grant Cardone, whoever says it with the 10 times. So we'll use 30 times, they 30 times that experience and wealth and all that stuff to be able to build something bigger and better for themselves. But they were kind of brought into that. And again, that doesn't mean just because their parents were entrepreneurs that they were immensely wealthy. It, it, you know, they had a business, but it was ingrained into them. You know, I, I think that's two key ways right there that you said it. You're either born into the wealth or you have parents, uh, relatives, whatever it may be, grandparents, maybe even that were entrepreneurs and you kind of learned off them. Yeah, someone's got to give you the knowledge. And, you know, the, the unfortunate part in this day and age is the majority of the teachers out there are not doers. You know, I spend most of my life running companies and I teach as a, as a, as a side habit, you know, it's, um, well, I don't run the companies. I'm, I'm the chairman of the board and I have CEOs who run the companies. You know, I always joke that, you know, the, the millionaire wants to be a CEO. The billionaire doesn't want to be CEO. They want to be chairman. They don't want to, they want to employ CEOs. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a big difference in thinking these days. You know, it's when, when I was a kid, I, I always wanted to be a millionaire. And then when you get there, you realize that millionaire really isn't rich anymore. Um, you know, millionaires, well, it's, it's, it's better than most. But, um, you know, it's still, you, you've got to build bigger than that. You know, I, I was the same way. I mean, growing up, it's like, I just want, I was, you know, you, you got to remember late teens, early twenties. And I'm thinking, wow, if I could just get the hundred K I'll have it made. I got the hundred K and after like two years, I'm like, 
no, this is nothing. Like this does not afford the lifestyle. Like I was thinking in my head, like a hundred K would be equivalent to like, Oh, I'm a millionaire. No, it's not. So then I get to 200 K and it's like, no, I'm still not there. 300 K and it keeps going up. Like, okay, it gets better, but no, I mean, to me, it's striving and fighting to get to that millionaire status. I think one where one area that I'm probably a little bit different than most people out there, a lot to listen on the show. In fact, I just did a podcast interview, uh, the I think it came out last week, where I was talking specifically about, hey, you can still be an entrepreneur, still make millions if you have that mindset, if you have that drive, if you have that spirit, if you work for somebody, I mean, it comes out the results and the right comp plan and all that stuff, but it is still possible. I think a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, to me, I view that the companies I work for, they present me the opportunity, the earnings opportunity, the creative control opportunity, but it's up to me and therefore my team to actually execute it. So that way then I can get to that earning potential. What do you think about that take? Well, there's a lot more ability to be entrepreneurial today than there ever has been before. Now, companies mm -hmm. are offering different ways of remuneration, different ways of backing your own judgment. And that's, and that's really the thing. You're not going to get there if you want to take an hourly gig that is super safe, right. super same paycheck and super the same. If you want to get there, you've got to take some level of risk. And whether you take a risk in your own company or in someone else's company and back your own judgment, back your own ability, back your own desire to learn, but you got you also got to go backwards a few steps from there. David, and that is that whatever your goal is, you've got to grow into it. You've got to get the knowledge right. and the abilities to get to that point. And so I see a lot of people that want certain things, but they're not willing to do the hard work. And the hard work isn't the doing. The hard work is the learning. You know, the, the majority of the hardest work when it comes to success, personal success, business success, career success, uh, wealth success, you know, the majority of the hardest work is the knowledge gathering and becoming uh, and, and understanding that, you know, we, I go back to when I was a young man and it was, you know, it was a very simple lesson, but I didn't get it in the beginning. I just didn't understand that I had to grow into my goals. The reason that I couldn't achieve my goals is that I wasn't the person that, that could achieve that goal. I was not that. And I still remember Age 16, I met Mr. Jim Rohn, E. James Rohn, and Mr. Rohn, you know, after a day with him at a seminar in the Brisbane City Town Hall, I decided I'm going to retire by 25. And most people sort of thought I was crazy. That's not possible. You can't do that. It, it won't happen. And you know, technically, they were right. 16-year-old me couldn't make that happen. What they didn't realize and what they didn't understand is that I was willing to invest in myself. I was willing to learn, grow, put in the time, the energy, not watch the TV, but read the books, not do the stupid stuff, but work on myself and build a great young entrepreneur. I had to become that and therefore everything else worked. And, you know, I currently I have uh, majority shares or major shares in 11 companies and uh, I run them in two days a week. And people always ask, how do you do that? Because so, I build great CEOs. I keep building my CEOs 
And therefore, you know, you build your people, they build a great company. It's it's not that complex. If you keep building them, they keep building it. Exactly. So quick question. Okay. Who runs more companies, you or Elon? Technically, probably me. Elon seems to only run one at a time. Um, but his are a little bigger than mine. So let's just not worry about how many. Let's let's worry about how many zeros are on the end. But you know, also I think I think though that Elon is very quickly learning the difference in his skill set right now. His skill set was the visionary startup of amazing great things. He's learning now about how do you turn around the culture of an organization and right. we're going to be watching that for 18 months now, maybe 2 years and watch and see if he can do a turnaround it's more be a fun than ride. He- I'm not sure fun would be the word I would use to describe it. Fun fun as a spectator, I'm talking about. Fun for us watching? Yes. Fun for him on the inside? I'm I'm not sure. Like, he's trying to take a business. He's trying to take a business and move it from a a advertiser model business to a subscription model business. And it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, you got at one end of the spectrum, you've got, uh, I mean, if you look at the New York Times, they've done that brilliantly moved to a subscriber base. They're a software as a service style business, but can you do that with Twitter? I'm not sure. And and it's a big old bet to say, but then again. I tell you right now, Facebook, for example, if I could get Facebook with no tracking, no ads, and it was five, 10 bucks a month, okay? I would easily pay for that because I am tired of like, I don't even use Facebook barely anymore. You know, every every minute there's a new ad on a video when I'm watching and I'm just sick of it. And if someone followed me, they actually saw my stuff. Get rid of the ads, get rid of all that. Charge me even more than that, even if it's 15 bucks a month. You know, I, I would still pay $15 a month or, or whatever just to no more ads on Facebook and Insta. It's, you know, other than the ads in the spots, you know, not in my feed. You can put your ads in the two little spots around the side like they originally did, but get them out of my feed. But, you know, that when you look at the model of businesses over the years, and, and this is where I know in not my latest book and the one before that, we talk strategy of business. And when you look at business strategy, most businesses have never actually delved into what their strategy is. And you look back at business modeling um, and, and you go down to sort of some of the most fundamental business models. I think that the subscription style business has become far more prevalent because of technology. You know, technology's allowed companies like Netflix and even, I mean, you go uh, back further than that, Adobe moved to a subscription based business, probably one of the first ones in the world in that SaaS modeling. And, and to see that technology allowed that shift. It's allowed Disney to shift. It's allowed iTunes to, you know, Apple, they had to buy Beats to do it, obviously, but Apple shifted. We're seeing it more and more and more today, and companies that understand business know that repeat business equals profit. We just bought a share of a steak business, a cattle uh, company, and um, first thing we did was introduce a membership option. You know, there's two layers of membership option. I mean, have it delivered every month. January 1st of every year, you start off with X millions of dollars, and if you lose one customer, it's not going to kill your your bottom line for the most part. I mean, you don't want to lose any customers, but let's face it, you know, some people may change jobs, may have lost their job, whatever it may be, and 
you're going to have some churn regardless. But if you take care of your customers, you keep the base and you grow the base. And subscription, I think, is the way to go for most businesses. But but I think we might be getting to the breaking point to where people are subscribed out. There is a subscription for everything. And I think very shortly in the next, let's say 18 months, I think 18 months, we're going to see where this subscription-based economy goes. You now have a subscription to delve into your subscriptions. So (laughs) you can even do that. That tells you, okay, you're spending too much on all these things. But ultimately, though, when we sit back and we take a look at what's happening, there's going to be some consolidation in some areas of subscription, like TV. TV is going to have to consolidate its subscriptions. It, It just... It's just going to have to, otherwise people are going to sub- stop subscribing to too many of them. And- well, we stopped subscribing. I mean, we, we we totally... So, okay, I lived in Mexico for many years um, and also Peru, but I'm a diehard Philadelphia Eagles fan. I know you're from Australia, but uh, you've had uh, heard of the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL. I've been to a game. Been to a game. Well, I don't know about greatest team to ever live. I, I've been in America long enough to have adopted several teams, but uh, yes. There you go. So I always had to get um, a direct TV or I think it was Sky uh, down there to be able to get the NFL network package, Sunday ticket package, to be able to watch my Eagles games every single week. But once I moved to the States and I was able to get it, you know, through other means or subscribing to just the package alone, because it was offering that standalone package, I think, uh, originally on Xbox. So we had to buy an Xbox to get the NFL, but then we didn't have cable. It was like, okay, we got uh, Hulu to watch, uh, not live TV, but recorded TV. We have Netflix. Here we go. 20 bucks a month. And what we're seeing is technology has allowed the end user to go direct to the consumer. And so that shift is really what we're seeing play out. So where they used to have to have the middleman being DirecTV or Cox or or Sky or whoever the the provider was before because they had the satellites and the satellites then did it, technology's allowed that end person who makes the TV show, and this is what even YouTube, and this is where, you know, what's the – the challenge of the YouTube versus, say, the Netflix, where Netflix has to spend, you know, X billion a year making TV shows, whereas YouTube spends zero dollars a year making TV shows sort of thing. You know, it's like... But they, but YouTube does have other costs. While they're not producing the videos, they do pay out... Okay, so they pay out... And this show is way more popular on YouTube than it is on iTunes and Spotify. It's more of a visual show than an audio show for many of our viewers, or at least it's caught fire on YouTube. You know, we get five, six, seven thousand viewers average per episode on YouTube, whereas we're in the hundreds on the audio version. And with that, um, you know, there's the the ad revenue. It's because you're so handsome, David. You know that, right? Yeah, I know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I am. You know, that's that's why I say in the intro, rock star wannabe. You know, sometimes they even say I'm glamorous. So uh, but with that, uh, you know, they have the cost that they pay out to the creators. In addition to what they pay out to the creators, I mean, the infrastructure for all the videos that they're doing. Now, yes, they're using Google Cloud. Yeah, but Netflix has that same infrastructure as well. They've all got to have that same infrastructure. So I, I get what you're saying, but 
But you sit back and you take a look at the business models going forward and everything shifts, everything changes. I live here in Las Vegas and you go through, okay, so we had the renaissance of the buffet and then you had the renaissance of the 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 spectacular shifts and then it's the nightclubs and now it's the sporting events and now it's the uh live music where they have the oh vegas has the sporting events now yeah so now but now you have not just that you have the live music and where they have their actual um residencies and now we've got massive international sporting events like f1 and things like that so Everything changes over time. The challenge for a lot of business people is that they don't shift with the market. They don't shift with the customers, with the consumer, with the technology. And I think that that's what's allowed us, like for, for me, I'd say with Action Coach, we've been in business uh, 29 years. It'll be 29 and a half years. We've had to shift and adjust so many times to be able to stay ahead of the market that that's really what keeps us in business. I, I think if you, I got a couple questions that are burning on topics that you talked about previously, but this discussion has been so interesting. I didn't go back there, but before I ask those, I want to touch on something that you just mentioned. Okay. You've had to shift your business a couple times to stay ahead of the curve with action coach. How did you have to shift with COVID? That's something that's unprecedented. I'm sure your business plan come I, I would probably say maybe not March when everything stopped, but come April, May, that's where like, okay, this plan's out the window because this is going to be around for a while in 2020. How did you shift and adjust during COVID to do things better? Let's go back a step. COVID or the pandemic was my fourth economic downturn running a business. So I've been in business long enough to see four downturns. The first one, I, I literally did what most people do on their first one, stuck my head in the sand and went, you know, if I just work harder, maybe this will get by. By this time round, you know, we we sat back in the November the year before at our annual planning and asked ourselves a question of what do we see economically in the next three to five years? And we do that pretty much every year. Where do we see the economy in the next three to five years? Because economics is a seven to 10 year cycle in most cases. Now we're on an extended cycle because of the, the Trump effect in, in the economies. And none of us, none of us at an executive level could see what would turn the economy, but we all agreed that something was going to turn the economy in the next two to three years. Now we were obviously like a recession like state, like we're at now. You just, you just can't be on a bull run for eight years, 2012 through 2020. You can't be on a bull run for eight years and not have something pinch the economy. Now we thought it was going to be like either Korea or China or something, not, not a virus. No one picked a virus. The U.S. elections was sort of the next thing that we sort of picked. Maybe that was going to be the turning point or Brexit. So what we did, and, and because at the time I was running 11 companies, you got to remember, David, so it's not just one company. We had to sit back and do it. The first thing I sat down with everybody uh, when, when we actually recognized what was going on is, right, everybody. So it was get the mindset right first. So the mindset had to be shifted. And the first mindset shift was, okay, we're not going to slow down from this. We're going to run. If you go back to uh, Intel, uh, Andy Groves, when he ran Intel, said uh, a down economy will kill a bad business. A good business will survive through it. And a great business will thrive through this thing. So we put together what we called survive and thrive. And we said, all right. And I literally did it as a training course to all my people, but I offered it for free to the public. So we gave it away to tens of thousands of business owners. I literally filmed it standing right where I am right now because we couldn't go anywhere else. I didn't have my TV 
you know, at the time. But um, we, we made a plan for survival. We said 90 days, we got to say, okay, in 90 days, let's work out how we're going to do this. If you lose 20 or 30% of the business, how will you survive? And we did that with every one of our clients all across the world. If you lose 30% of your business, how will you survive? And everyone had to answer that question. What do you need to do? What do you need to be? And then we turned it into the thrive section of it. Okay, what do we need to do to make more money through this than we would have otherwise? Because I think that too many people when there's a down economy go into what I did when I first hit a down economy. And that is, and and again, David, this is not their fault. Most business owners have only owned their business for three to seven years by by the time a downturn happens. And so they've never actually run it through a downturn. They might have worked for someone through a downturn, but they've never run a business through a downturn. And so it was that energy. And and I know my wife said it to me because I literally never got off this computer for probably five, six weeks where I was on the calls every single day, all day to people in my companies, talking to them, letting them know because what had to happen is your people had to feel good. They had to feel like this has got to change. This has got to be, we've got to get through this. And all we said to every single person, everyone's keeping their job. Everyone's getting through this. We're going to make this happen. Then we've talked about the business plan. We had to change and everything. Now, ultimately, um, only one of our companies really suffered from COVID, but that's a restaurant here at the Wynn Casino. So we were shut. We couldn't do anything. Um, all of the others, my catering business, we turned our catering business into a home catering business. We literally did cater food and you came and picked it up from our uh, from our restaurant, the back of the restaurant, basically. And we catered families because no one could get groceries. I don't know if you remember that phase, no one could get groceries. Well, we could get wholesale groceries, anything we wanted because no restaurants were open. So the wholesalers had every dang thing. So we were just making lasagnas by the pallet load almost. And people came and bought a dozen lasagnas. And, you know, so every business had to change. My cleaning business, holy heck, that one had to change dramatically. You know, we had to buy, we had to invest a ton of money in new equipment, new product, new machines, new everyday thing. But even training people had to change, David. You you imagine how we had to, because we were recruiting at a record rate uh, from a cleaning, a commercial cleaning business, a record rate of recruiting, but we had to train them virtually. So we had to create all technology-based training programs and here's how you do this. And we had to watch them and teach them how to use fogging machines uh, virtually. So <laughs> That's a, a great amount of, of challenge, but I think it, it comes down to what you were talk, talking about a little bit earlier with being able to adopt your business to, you know, the changes or trying to be ahead of the curve. And you already kind of had that experience just with COVID it kind of put it right there in front of your face. Like, Hey, instead of trying to be ahead of the curve two, three years from now, we've got to do it in like two months. How do we do it? Usually, usually a downturn gives you six to 18 months to prepare. This one gave you six to 18 days you know, from when you actually acknowledge to when it actually shut down sort of thing. So, look, I, I think that the, the biggest lesson out of COVID, uh, you know, and, and not trying to sound, you know, I'm a businessman, I'm not a doctor, so I'll just talk to the business aspect of it. The The business side of lessons from COVID was that you you either adjust or die. 
And that's what business always is. You've got to adjust or die. And the question is, do you want to be on the leading edge of that adjust or do you want to wait until the rest of the market adjusts and then you've got to catch up? Most people are in catch up mode. Um, and and I, I still go back to Bill Gates many, many moons ago, an interview he was doing where he said, you know, there's a kid somewhere in a garage trying to put Microsoft out of business. And we've always got to be aware of that fact. Um, he, he was close to the market. It was two kids in a college dorm and they almost dead him out. So one of the other questions that I've had that's been burning and you hit on this a little bit ago about hard work. Uh, there's been a lot of talk in the news as of late, as far as CEOs just not having confidence. I, I don't know if this is a global thing or more of an American subject right here, but CEOs are having you know less confidence in their employees to actually go out, grind it out, and do the hard work. I mean, you're seeing it with all the tech layoffs. I mean, let's again, we can go back to. Elon, with all the layoffs and the firings that happened with Twitter, they're at 10%, roughly, maybe 15% of the staff that they had pre-Elon. And yeah, you see something here or there in the site, like, okay, this is loading slow. But for the most part, with that much staff gone, it, it's still functioning you know, reasonably well for how much staff that they reduced. Is that a, you know, is that real? Is that a real fear that these CEOs are feeling? Is it just situational or is it completely baloney? A company's greatest asset is its human beings or a company's biggest pain in the backside is its human beings. Uh, and so when you look at a company, when you take it over, and I look at pretty much any company we take over, um, there's usually 15 to 20 30% fat in your employee ranks. It just is. It just got that way. You know, um, it doesn't matter what company it is. If you get fat and happy, you get fat and happy. I mean, if you're making money and you've got those stuff, you just keep them on for the sake of it. There's, you know, it's like if, if, if you and I tomorrow, David, went in and looked at the government budget, how much of the government budget would we cut out because we're brand new people looking at it type thing, at least 30, 40%, right? Same's true in most companies. There's 20, 30% of budget, which is just, why are we spending this? I don't know. We just always have. Why do we have this? We always have. I think a lot of that got challenged during COVID though, because it really changed a lot of ways of thinking to where, why are we doing this, you know, like this, where it, it forced people to digitally transform or whatever they had to do to operate, you know, and break that mentality a little bit. Well, the world was virtualized seven to 10 years in seven to 10 months. So you had to leapfrog, right? But when you look at COVID, I look at one of our clients who they used to run their retail stores on seven staff. Well, during COVID, they were only allowed four. And guess what? Sales stayed the same. Operations stayed the same. They're like, why do we always run it on seven? Because we always ran it on seven. Now, when it comes to hiring people today, David, I think there's a lot of conversations because these conversations are generational. When we look as, you know, if we go to the baby boom generation, they were brought up differently to current generation. And the way they work is different. Their dreams, goals, and desires are different. I don't see my kids sitting there going, you know what, dad, 
I can't wait to buy a big house and have a big mortgage and buy two fancy cars and do it. They're just different in that one. You know, they're just different, David. They would rather have experiences. They would rather travel. They would rather do things. The whole, I, I like to think of the millennial generation as the why generation, not, not the letter why, but the word why. We have to teach them why we're doing things. You know, when, when my dad was a boy, they didn't have to teach him why. Why do you do that? Because I told you to. There's no other reason, you know, it's because if you don't do it, we don't survive. You know, if you don't, if you don't milk the cows, we don't eat because we don't drink milk. So milk the cows, you know what I mean? Whereas my generation, I'm 51. So my generation was the first generation to be the throw out generation, meaning we didn't darn our socks. We threw our socks out and bought new ones. So when we go through to today's generation, who've never learned to fix things, like they just don't learn to fix anything. Everything gets thrown out and replaced. The thinking is different. There's no, the memorization, like, I don't know, when I went to school, you had to memorize things because there was no way to look it up. There was, it was called a, a, a you know, you go and look it up in the dictionary and it took you seven hours to find the dang thing. And, or you could go and look it up in the, at the library. And what was that little, the Dewey decimal, whatever catalog system. You know, now, now I want to find anything. I punch it in and I got it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you never have debates at the bar anymore. Remember when you used to have debates at the bar and you'd sit there and argue who was the greatest football team of all time. And you'd say something stupid, like it's the Philadelphia Eagles and someone else would say something stupid, like it's the new England Patriots. And then I'd be from Vegas and I'd say, no, it's the Las Vegas Raiders. And, and now you just, and now that debate doesn't go on anymore. Someone pulls up the statistics and goes, no, nope, let me show you. Here's the stats. And like, you just ruined the entire debate. But this is the difference in the way the, 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 the human capital of today has to be worked with. We have to operate on a global human capital scale, David. We don't operate on a U.S. human capital scale anymore. Where is, where is your marketing manager that you want to hire based? I don't know, probably Croatia right now. Probably you're going to get some kid in Japan who's better at it than the kid down the road who, who lives and can drive to your office. I don't care where someone is anymore in, in our companies. You know, it, it doesn't bother me. Can they get to work? I don't care. They don't need to work here anymore. And if you've closed off your mind to the change of, same way consumers change their habits, workers change their habits. People want to live in a big house. They don't want to live in New York in a box anymore. They want to move to Minnesota or they want to move further south to like South Carolina live in a big house out in the country, have fresh air, walk inside, tap some stuff out on their computer, talk to people on Zoom, and go back and play with their kids for a bit. They, the freedom and the flexibility. They don't want to sit in a two-hour commute. Don't want to do it. Don't want to know about it. And I don't want to pay them to sit in a two-hour commute. I would rather that two-hour commute, they dedicate them. And this is where it's stupid. People go, oh, they don't work as hard when they work from home. They work 10 times harder when they work from home, dude. You know why? Because when they have an idea at 10 o'clock at night, they walk over to their computer and they punch it in and they do stuff from it sort of thing. Yes, I know we need to bring them together. And I know there's a benefit of people being together. And I know all that stuff. But there's a balancing act to the way you run your human capital today. And, and I think that if, if any CEO is concerned with the human capital, they need to be more looking at their recruitment strategies. And, and when we look at recruiting, 
It's not hiring anymore. Recruiting used to be you shove up a help wanted ad and you hope. No, today, how you market for a human being to work for your company is just as important as how you market for a customer to buy something from your company. The level of marketing you have to do to get a great employee today. But even think of it further, go one step further and think of it like a football team. You don't recruit the guy who just got cut from the football team. You go out and you recruit. You go and find the best of the best. The great story on that when the Ford Motor Car Company realized they needed a new CEO to run the company, the head of HR, if you read the book, American Icon, the head of HR for Ford Motor Car Company moved to Seattle to stalk and live near the head of Boeing to recruit him to come and run Ford to rebuild Ford Motor Car Company. And Alan Mulally eventually after two years says, yes, goes, moves over, builds Ford. It's the only company that didn't take a handout from the government to get through the 2008-12 crisis. Phenomenal, phenomenal. The amount of energy and effort you put into recruiting, hiring, training, managing, leading your people determines how fast and how far your business will grow. Yeah, the onboarding process, I think, is one of the, it, it, I think, I kind of feel like it's one of the most undervalued things in a lot of companies, but it's one of the most important and critical. And onboarding doesn't just go for when you hire somebody, but, you know, recruiting people to get them onto your team as well, too. And I think a lot of companies where they drop the ball is sometimes they don't tell their grand story, their corporate story, their vision for the future. You know, this is what you can be a part of with that type of culture. Yeah, I would even take that one step further. Your induction training programs for a team member in your company, how you induct someone into your company. I learned this with Disney. Disney used to run a Disney University many moons ago, and and you could go and study the Disney company. And they would take six weeks back then to take a young person and teach them how to be a ticket collector on the front desk. Now, why six weeks, you ask? Because that seems stupid. Now, I look at great companies today that do it. Zappos here in Las Vegas does it. They have uh, anyone that joins the company has to spend a week on the phones answering customer service calls and a week in the warehouse packing boxes. I don't care if you're the highest ranking executive, you will pack boxes for a week. But Disney used to train those kids. They used to train those kids. Every one of those kids had to learn every movie, every story, every everything. I remember probably probably eight years ago, I probably need to redo it again. I recorded the vision, history, mission, culture statement of my companies. I did 20 minutes on the vision, 20 minutes on the culture document, who is who we are and why we do what we do, 20 minutes on the mission and the history of our organization. It, it all adds up to about an hour and something video that any new employee of Action Coach anywhere in the world that works for any one of my franchise offices anywhere in the world can watch that and learn the vision of our company from me, the founder. They don't get it secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand. They learn who we are and why we do what we do from me. Um, I, and I think that's important in this day and age to give your people the opportunity to love your company as much as you do. If you don't give them that knowledge, how can they? They can't love something the way you love it if they don't understand why you love it that much. And you know, I saw a college student recently ask a question of a CEO, you know, how do I get uh uh, you know, when I start my own business, how will I get my people to work as hard as I do? And the CEO gave the great answer, something that I would always say, and that was, 
you know, you can't expect your people to work as hard as you do. You're the owner of the business. You want, you chose that level of work. They chose to work as a team member in your company. They didn't choose to work 18 hour days like you do. So yeah, David, look, people, I, I love talking about people. I love talking that subject, but ultimately it comes back to one lesson, 21 years of age, or maybe 20, walked into my dad and I said, you know what, dad, I just can't get good people. And my dad looked me dead in the eye and he's a very, very blunt man. And uh, he said, Brad, you get the people you deserve. I'm like, what? He said, well, you're an average manager running an average business. Highest caliber a person wants to work for you is average. It's like, <laughs> you know, stabbed through the heart. <laughs> that was a gut punch. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like being a Philadelphia Eagles supporter. You know, <laughs> except for this season. This season, the Raiders are dying. You guys are killing it out there. You guys are absolutely killing it. Yeah. Hey, 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 I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. The Philly special was epic. We can agree on that, right? <laughs> But you sit back and I looked at it. My dad was right. You know, I needed to become a great manager and then become a great leader and build a great company before great people wanted to join my team. And so I think it's when you're when you're going after something great, when you're going after something amazing, when you're doing more. And that's where, you know, if I look at the, the core discipline of mission in a company, a company has to be about more than money if it wants great people or if your company's only about money. You can't do that. Great companies today are about something, something greater than just profits. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, the social aspect, we've had a lot of guests, even including some from Australia that came on talking about the social enterprise, you know, B Corps, those types of things. As far as, you know, I guess doing something good for the world. But also, still, it's our right to profit from doing good, you know? And, that's a message I had, and I, I totally agree with that. If you have an in, you know, a truly genuine idea that can make the world better and you can make money while doing it, go for it. You know, you're not hurting anybody or taking, you know, away from anybody. So it, I'm all for that type of stuff. But Brad, we do got to get rolling. Uh, one final, final thing. I think we both can agree with this. Despite our differences in football with the Raiders and, and the Eagles, the Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, if, if you're a Cowgirls fan, good luck to you. You know, there you go. Interesting <laughs> business lesson. They had a great young kid come in and save the team and change the culture. And then they bring back the old QB whose culture. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch how early they choke this season. So we'll see. Oh, I love your optimism with that. <laughs> but anyways, hey, Brad. This was amazing, man. I mean, uh, I love when I get people like you on the show and the knowledge. This is why I do the podcast, because for me, it's almost like I get personal coaching sessions with some of the greatest, brightest business minds out there. And I just want to share that experience with everybody. And I'm sure somebody got something from this episode. Please do me a favor. How can people reach out to uh, to you? How can they find out more about your companies? Action Coach, where do you want them to go? Uh, they can hit actioncoach.com or bradsugars.com, any form of social media, even Pinterest. I'm over there waving at you, you know, or TikTok. Don't <laughs> dance, but I still put up, you know, you can find me any of those places. Amazon has all my books. Uh, my, my online training programs are at bradsugars.com. Or if you're looking for a coach for your business, jump on actioncoach.com. Um, and, and click the find a coach button and we'll pay up with someone near you. 
Okay, perfect. Hey, Brad, thank you so much, man. This has been amazing. And please, as always, you all know this by now, links to Brad Trigger's Action Coach will be down below in the description. Make sure you check him out. Obviously, this man knows his stuff. Thank you again, Brad. Thanks, David. Great to be on you. Cheers. Wow, such a great chat with Brad, wasn't it? First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it gave you those warm and fuzzies, please do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business, please share us out to your friends, your colleague, your family, anywhere that you dwell on the interweb, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Minds, wherever you're at, share us out because we only grow because people like you share out our interviews. Now, let's get back to the real rock star of this show, Mr. Brad Sugars. Few businesses or owners out there can do everything themselves. I mean, come on, let's face it. Not everybody is an expert at everything. Maybe you know enough to make you dangerous at something, but you aren't a true expert at it unless they're a super experienced CEO like our guest today, Brad Sugars. But even Brad has had plenty of mentors and failures throughout the years that allowed him to learn, you know, their secrets for growth and to learn about his mentor's failures as well. You know, sometimes executives or owners have a chip on their shoulder, you know, like either they know everything or they really have something that they want to prove, whether it's proven it to themselves or proven it to somebody else, but they want to prove it on their own. And that's where my advice, my plea to you is to please embrace somebody like Brad Sugars so that you can really learn from his 30 years of experience with his 90 Days to Revolutionize Your Life course. I mean, it's 30 minutes a day. 30 minutes, that's shorter than most podcast episodes or Netflix shows, and it will teach you about how you can find what we call here in this show the three Gs, personal growth, professional growth, and most importantly, business growth. As they say with addicts, the first step is admitting that you have a problem. The same goes for stubborn managers, executives, and owners putting your ego aside and admitting that you need some coaching to get to the next level and embracing the help out there for you to get the support that you need to grow your career and grow your business. Awesome stuff, Brad. Thank you so much for coming on, sharing your experience. Please check out the Revolutionize Your Life program and check out, you know, his Action Coach Business Consulting as well. As you all know, links for both will be down below in the description. Uh, question of the day. Have you ever gotten professional coaching? And I'm not talking about therapy. Uh, leave a comment down below on YouTube. Do you want to be on the show? If so, please shoot out an email. Interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. If you're watching on YouTube, remember... 
$3 a month, you can become a baby shark, support this channel, or give us a super thanks. All you got to do is that little heart dollar sign, anywhere from a dollar, $50, $20, whatever you can afford, every dollar helps us carry out our mission of allowing business executives, business managers, young executives, business owners, be able to find growth with our rock star slated panel of guests that come in week in and week out. Also, please don't forget to check out our sponsor again, SAP Platinum Partner, Sador, S-E-I-D-O-R.com. Check them out. See how they can help you grow your business. You all know this by now, but I'll say it again. I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz. We'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story. 